everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Stephanie Allen, comedian, improviser, actor, pistol shrimp. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so explain pistol shrimps. Okay, it's a basketball team here in Los Angeles. It's all women. And the pistol shrimp is, I guess, one of the most aggressive fish in the sea. <laughs> I didn't even know there. I figured it was just a combination of two different things. Yeah, like, I thought so too. And then they're like little shrimps that have very um, sharp claws. Who knew? <laughs> I, uh, I find shrimp, not pistol shrimps, but shrimp. In, I like eating shrimp, but recently someone I follow who's kind of a foodie posted a photo of like a bunch of fresh shrimp with their heads and everything. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know that I can ever eat shrimp again. Yeah. They're gross looking. <laughs> They were very like translucenty. Yeah, weird texture. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, would you consider yourself quite athletic? Yeah. I well, I mean, I grew up playing sports. I played basketball in high school, and then decided to do acting instead. But mm. it's been really fun to play again. So you're um. By the way, you're not on Wikipedia. So my attempts at getting a ton of <laughs> biographical information accurate or not, were right. thwarted. Yeah. I feel like you should be on Wikipedia. Do you enjoy well, I, not being there? Um, I'm always, I never think about it. And then I'm always like, it comes up where people are like, I can't find anything on you. <laughs> and then I kind of like think that's cool. Yeah. But it doesn't, I'm not really like happy about it or not happy about it. <laughs> I remember I was on Wikipedia and then uh, I got taken off of Wikipedia because I guess whoever decides these things decided that like I wasn't notable enough to be on there. <clears throat> I've recently, years ago, got like reestablished on there. And if you go, there's, right. you can like click onto something to really go into the weeds of like the back and forth discussions they have in their secret meetings or whatever. And I saw that like it was determined that I was important enough. Now That's I had achieved hilarious. enough importance to be on Wikipedia. But I remember at the time when I was erased initially, I think salted was like the, the term <laughs> so that no one could, cause I, like they'd taken me off and then my fans had put me back, put in, had put me back on. That's a new term. <laughs> That's put nice. me back on a couple times and then I think it was salted like so that it was like scorched earth we're not putting her back on and then eventually I got back on but right. while this was happening I remember thinking I can't believe that I'm letting this bother me I do exist in real life but the <laughs> fact that I don't exist there anymore is bothering me right right and isn't it that and I thought that anybody could upload a page no well so did uh, my fans at the time, <laughs> but no, you have there. There's criteria, oh, but you would wow. for sure meet the criteria. That's what I'm saying. You, you gotta write get on own. there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have someone do it. Um. So so anyway, though, what I know about you is that you grew up in Southern California and then moved to Buffalo. Yes, that's and then right. it all ends, and that's all you <laughs> that's get. It. And I know a lot of your credits, <laughs> and uh, I know just stuff just that I that I've absorbed. But anyway, where's Southern California? So I was born in Arcadia. And then I lived in Claremont, California, which is... I went to college in Claremont. Oh, you did? I went to Pomona College. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I love Claremont. Congratulations on going there. Oh, thank you. The Harvard of the West. <laughs> That's what the t-shirts say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Claremont, and then I moved to Buffalo when I was six, and then I came back to Southern California to Temecula, mm -hmm. which is like inland Orange County, San Diego area. And then went back to Buffalo, and then I dropped out of high school, and then I came to L.A. 
Why all the moving around? Or why all the cross-country moving? Honestly, the first time my dad was transferred and then the other times were all for fun. It was just like, we want to move. Mm-hmm. And they were just, my parents would just move. What was, you, what was your childhood like? Well, it's interesting because I feel like my parents are, they're both from L.A. And then when we lived in Claremont, Claremont's like a super liberal sort of just that kind of world, college town. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Buffalo. It was super sports, like... The school was very like, you know, hard work and and the school was hard. Mm-hmm. And then when I came to Temecula in seventh grade, it was like California public school system <laughs> and Christianity, which I had never really seen before, mm-hmm. born-again Christianity. And I went to a born-again Christian school and we were, I believe we were the only Democrats in all of Temecula because I could not find another one. <laughs> I grew up in Orange County and I had sort of a similar oh, really? feeling outcast in that way thing where, yeah, it's very homogenous, very Republican, yeah. um, very blonde and athletic. And I, But did you feel uh, like you didn't fit in? Um, no, I had friends and I liked my friends in high school, but it was we, we had chapel every week and we had Bible and they they weren't like, oh, and, you know, take it however you want. It was very like gay people are going to hell. You know, they're on the abortion issue. They talk about it in school. They don't believe in dinosaurs. Everything where you're like, well, this is insane. That was your reaction at the time. Yeah. But I didn't know. I had never I didn't know people thought that way. I mm-hmm. didn't even know that existed. Whereas now I feel like people are more aware of it. That sort of born again thing but at the time i only knew of like yeah christians and they're like protestant Mm -hmm. or whatever lutheran how how come your parents sent you to a born-again school well when we moved to temecula it was the really the only private school and so i wanted to go i wanted like to go to a good college Mm -hmm. and so i think everyone's opinion was like oh you'll have bible and you'll have chapel but almost in like the catholic way where who cares? <laughs> and then like slowly it was like, oh, everybody's really on board with this. Yeah. And did you end up going to college? No. So what school happened? dropout. So I moved back to Buffalo my senior year at a 4.1 GPA. And then I went to NYU where I thought that's where I wanted to go. And then I toured the school and Tish and the whole thing. And like, I don't think this is me. And then I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I didn't feel like I needed to be in school anymore. And my parents were like, okay. And there was no pushback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I dropped out. What about NYU and Tish didn't feel right? I don't know. Because now I look back, I'm like, maybe I would have liked it. But at the time, I couldn't. It was all the like real theater kids. And there was this kid that was on my tour. And he pretended to fall down the stairs and then he stood up and did a somersault and like you know like Willy Wonka style and I was just like I everyone's laughing and I was just like this is not my crowd Mm -hmm. and as judgmental as that was in one moment of just this who was on my tour I was like I don't like this so who knows I now I've met people from there I'm like yeah well I probably would have liked you (laughs) But and you're very involved in the improv world. Yeah. And sometimes improv 
can I'm an improv fan. I feel like this is this is going to sound judgmental, but I feel like occasionally improv can feel like that Willy Wonka somersault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you're getting with a group of people and you're like, I love this thing that I'm doing, but the group is not matching the love and then you're kind of like combating this energy or these people or you date somebody and you're like what the hell (laughs) is this what have I stumbled on (laughs) yeah yeah where and I came from sports and that kind of like suburban culture Mm -hmm. that wasn't like that world so how did you get into acting and improv uh, so I came out here when I was 18 and then I started, I got a commercial agent and I, and sorry, did you come out here by yourself? My family had moved back here. I see. And so we, I was, they were in Claremont. And so I was kind of, I was living in Claremont and just trying to be an actor mm-hmm. and kind of hanging out at Pomona, just walking around <laughs> the Claremont go, colleges. Did you go to Rhino Records? Oh yeah. Or Nick's Cafe? All the time. Yeah. yeah. All the spots. I feel like I miss people it. don't know Claremont. I think they don't know it that And well. it's the coolest thing and it's in LA. Yeah. Have I you mean, been there recently? Because there was, I remember a Starbucks moved in oh, maybe yeah. my senior year afterwards and there was like a real pushback against that. And then the press, which is a restaurant that served alcohol, opened mm-hmm. and that was a huge deal. That served Maybe they just had beer and wine. I don't know. That was like a big deal. But now there's a Flappers Comedy Club. Yeah, like a that's ho- right. That add- whole other area. Yes. There's so much more than when I was there. Yeah. It's really interesting because that group of people there, you know, they call it the town of trees and PhDs. And they were all like no Starbucks, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And they held that for a long right. time. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, here's the Jamba Juice and whatever. Yeah. But they are loyal mm-hmm. to the other other side of the village yeah it's really interesting do you remember there was a store called Carkle Sudi? It, I I don't even I just know I that I remember it because the name was so bizarre and then a Carkle Sudi too opened <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was a stationary Wait, is, oh it was like stationary rubber stamps yes. all sorts of knickknacks and stuff like that <laughs> I remember going in there I didn't know the name of it and there were all these women yes. just gathered around a table like you couldn't even get in the door and they were all just looking at one woman stamping paper <laughs> it's like Portlandia <laughs> yeah. yeah. I miss it. I loved Claremont. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it's such a, I mean, it's like the small town, East Coast village mm-hmm. town in the middle of the Inland Empire. Right. Uh, do your parents still live there? No, no one's there. And I wish, I like wish they were there because yeah. I love going there. Maybe uh, your, both or one of your sons will go there. I know. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> um. Okay, so you, you... Came back when you were 18. Oh, right. Your family was here and you were acting. So tell yeah. me about that. So I got a commercial agent because I looked really young. And so I was 18, 19, 20 doing commercials, playing 14-year-olds. Really weird world where they were like telling me, well, don't tell anybody you're over 18. So I was pretending that I was 14. <laughs> so for whatever reasons. And so I had to like pretend to be, to be in school with a tutor very strange. And then um, simultaneously, my they were like, you should take an acting class. And I went and audited a bunch of classes, had the same kind of reaction I did to NYU of like, oh, God, I can't sign up. And then I started doing the Groundlings and then started doing UCB. And that felt really right. Had you always been drawn to comedy? Yeah. 
Although I don't think I wanted to be an actor. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was going that route. But then once I was here, it's it kind of was the only thing that appealed to me. Right. It's interesting that you had that almost allergic, if you will, <laughs> reaction to acting. Is it, did it feel contrived or like, do you tend, I don't, is there something about that world that like you tend to I don't dislike? like the like, um, like, cause I love acting and I love working with people in that whole environment, but I don't like anything that feels like What's the word? Because the Groundlings had it a little bit, and it I found it off-putting of that kind of like everybody's kind of competing for the same roles, and you're in this like tight group where mm. you kind of you're like, I kind of just want to get it or not get it, and then go on my way. I don't want to be forced in the environment of not getting something, somebody else getting it, me doing something I don't want to do mm-hmm. because I'm in this ensemble. Mm. And I feel like I don't, I just. I don't like the tight group that's competitive. Interesting. And I don't like I didn't like it in high school either. Mm-hmm. That kind of just vying for spots within a group of 15 people. Right. And you do or you don't find that in the improv world? I didn't find it as much in the I mean I found it at the Groundlings for sure, but at UCB I felt like yeah, it's competitive to get on teams, but I felt you could kind of do what you have where you wanted and you mm. could put up a show and audition it or you could try to do stand up or write or whatever it was. You could kind of find your own way and kind of make and do it on your own terms. Right. Which I liked a lot. So you play Kate in um, One Mississippi mm-hmm. on Amazon. Two seasons are out now. Yes. And then it was Is canned. There... Oh, <laughs> I couldn't remember. So it's not coming back. No. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I loved that show. Everyone should go watch the seasons and forget about the fact that uh, <laughs> it ends at the end of season two. You have no idea what happened. <laughs> um, but you play Kate with uh, your wife, Tignataro, who plays herself. Yeah. And you play a version of yourself. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I was just talking about this last night where it's like people, I'm certainly playing a version of myself, but it's so far from myself that it's such a weird thing when you're doing a show and you're writing a dynamic because, you know, I feel like my character is a little more naive than I am in real life Mm -hmm. and a little more sort of lighter. And I think sometimes you have to have that to have conflict or to have drama where it's like, okay, well, this person, you know, has to like go through it. So when you then go to play it, it's like, well, I actually am not that I'm not in a gray zone when it comes to sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the show, it's sort of like somebody figuring it out. And that kind of stuff I found interesting just to put yourself in a position of, okay, well, let me be in in the learning part. Right. (laughs) At one point in your life, would you have been? Yeah, definitely. So just to, I'm thinking for listeners who are like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) Um, But without spoiling it, there is a, Well, it's kind of an, it's a, an allusion to the Louis C.K. situation, right? Right. That yeah. happens on the show. Yeah. And that idea, you know, of someone. To your character. Yeah, to my character. And who's just kind of going with it. And, and I think that's how most people are. You know, it's like you get in a situation, you're like, God, that, I had no idea that was coming. Mm-hmm. And so much of the notes for the show were like, well, there's a scene where. I guess this is kind of giving. It I think away. we can oh, just well. say it because yeah. people know what happened with Louis C.K. Right, like right. the, I think some of the at the beginning ambiguity about the Louis C.K. thing was that he didn't he masturbated in front of people. There was not an actual physical right assault 
or maybe well, there's some people there some, were, right? Yeah. But like what was but said about I think people at him. the beginning weren't sure, like what do we make of someone who masturbates right. in front of some, you know, without consent? Like right. what is that exactly? Right, yeah. right. And that's what we, we were doing before Time's Up and before it had kind of come out with him. And so everybody's opinion was like, okay, well, should there be some flirtation between you and that character and something that makes it like, well, that's why he did it. And you go like, well, no, that's... That's the point. The whole point <laughs> right. is that as soon as you do that, your whole storyline is different. But I think people, and kind of even now, can't wrap their minds around that kind of assault. Mm-hmm. Or they're just like, well, it's a compulsion. Or it's just, I mean, yeah, like, like, like he talks about it. He masturbates. Or people do these things. And you're like, no, it's so intentional. Yeah. And so my character is going through that on the show of kind of slowly – it happens and then she has to kind of come to terms with what happened mm-hmm. and what the level of trauma is and what the level of abuse was. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. And it coincides with her realizing that she's has feelings right. for Tig. Right. Um, and all of that's kind of fiction. I mean, I definitely struggled with my sexuality and I didn't, when I met Tig, I didn't think I was gay. I felt, I was like, I'm a straight person, but boy... I really like you. Too bad I'm not gay. And now, and even so, even now looking back, I feel like my character is like five years back from where I am now. Mm-hmm. And so she's, you know, figuring out her sexuality on the show. Whereas n- now, or in writing the show, I'm like, I kind of feel gender fluid completely, completely like I'm like, everybody's gay. Like I don't <laughs> have the same terms or the labels. Right. So it's it was interesting to kind of, it's fictionalized, but it's more just like back in time. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating to me because um, I was thinking about what that would feel like as someone who oh, has always identified as straight to all of a sudden find yourself falling for someone of the same sex and how that would would be – I don't even have a word to describe it. I, I just – very – kind of threatening yeah or like like is my identity dissolving yeah exactly like I had to it was like who I thought I was and I had all these weird things come up where I'm like but I date guys and I am not gay and gay is this and I'm I'm love gay people and I have tons of gay friends but that's not and to have those sep- to learn that I had those sort of separations or even stereotypes within mm-hmm. my own mind because I hadn't seen it in the way that I was experiencing it. And I think about kids now. I'm like, even if I watched like The L Word or Orange is the New Black or Transparent or any of those shows as a teenager, I feel like I might have gone, oh, maybe this, like just to have an example of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I had, it just kind of had nothing to go off. And so when I was falling for Tig, I I told my sister, I was like, yeah, I just like, I have these feelings. I'm going on dates with other people. I'm like kind of wishing I was with her, but then I'm not gay. And she's like, I think you're just prude. And I was like, prude. Like that was like the word that I did not think I was. Like my whole life was like, and I'm not a prude. Mm -hmm. I like back to like sixth grade where I'm like, no, I'm down for whatever. (laughs) And like, and so then I was like, oh my God, I'm just like tripping up on the sex part of it or like the foreign part. And it reminded me of like when you're in fifth or sixth grade or in middle school and people are like, this is what a blowjob is. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember having that reaction. Like, people do that? Yeah, and you're like, why? What? Yeah, like, you can't wrap your mind around <laughs> yeah. the, like, connecting part of it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was in that place in my 20s. And then once I was able to go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's none of that, then it was all so clear. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, I've been gay forever. What makes you say that? I think I just – I wasn't in tune with it. Mm-hmm. I think I just thought I was a straight person and I dated guys and then I had dynamics that weren't – the level of intimacy I don't think ever really got there. With guys. Yeah. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I think if somebody broke up with me or I ended something, it was like the biggest relief. It was just like, oh, my life is – I got my life back. Thank God. Whereas I look back and like if a girl that I was really into did that to me, I'd be like, that fucker. (laughs) Like my emotions would be so hurt or angry Mm -hmm. or whatever. Whereas before I was like just completely neutral. Like you were much more invested in your female friendships. Yeah. Or if I if I had really been in love on in that way, like mm-hmm. that my friends were having with guys that I was like, man, they're really like torn up over this person or this breakup. I'm like, he sucks. Who cares? Let's go. <laughs> like and and I know if it like if I think of that happening with Tig or if I think of somebody I would have dated back then mm-hmm. if they had done weird things to me, I would have been like, she did this and she did this. Right. You know? But ha- had the thought that maybe you could be attracted to women, had you ever had that thought no, before, Tig? never. And I didn't know that my relationships with men were, was connected to that. I just mm-hmm. thought I hadn't met the right person or anybody that I, got re- that I was really falling in love mm-hmm. with. And I really liked the people I dated. And I, my response was like, they're so cute and they're cool and we have the same interests and aren't their opinions great? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of just that. Uh, way too personal question. Feel free to not answer it. When you made out with the guys that you were dating, like, did it? It was, What did you feel? I like that's the thing is that was great, and that was I feel like that's the part of me. I'm like, oh well, sex and pleasure is all kind of a great feeling, mm-hmm. and so not to say everybody's gay or not or whatever, but I feel like these are things that feel good and when you like somebody it's a fun thing to do if it's making out or it's sex or whatever and so to 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 me that was like the part that I got tripped up on when really it's like yeah I could kiss somebody and it could be fine but I was the actual emotion in myself wasn't like totally it was like so in that moment and it was fleeting Mm -hmm. um so then when you started dating Tig how and you sort of as you were coming to terms, I guess, with who you were, Mm -hmm. how was that process? Really hard because I was having such a great time with her and we would just kind of go out casually for six months and just have dinner and then the restaurant would close and then we'd talk in the parking lot and then we'd go, okay, goodbye. And and then I would, I couldn't stop thinking about her and I loved everything about her, but then it was like, this insane just sort of like personal breakdown of like who am I and what does it mean if I'm gay and what I don't that doesn't I've never identified in that way and I'm what do I lose in becoming that and and like all these weird thoughts that I don't even value even Mm -hmm. I'm like who cares what you whatever and I wrote her this really long email like six months in where I'm like it, it was after we had first kissed 
And I was like, okay, so I didn't, I don't regret doing that. That was so great. We had such a great time, but I'm just not gay. And I feel like I'm doing blah, blah, blah. Like the longest email. I'm like, I have to just get this all out. And, um, and then like I send it and then like seconds later, she, I mean, after she read it, she writes back, okay, Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, she's the best. <laughs> That is hilarious. Was that you trying to put distance between? Yeah, I was trying to end it. And then like that email, I'm like, oh, man, I really like her. What am I doing? What am I talking about? And so like the second I was like, I kind of feel like I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about her. It was so obvious I was in love with her. And I feel like I just was like, okay, fuck it. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. And I went over to her apartment and I was like, I just want to be with you. I just want to try it. I just want to date. And she was like, okay, you know, we can go slow. And I'm seeing other people. And you know, she had been seeing someone at the time. Like, yeah, okay. And I'll keep seeing what I'm seeing. And then from that night, we never weren't together another night. And how soon was that after the email? Two weeks later. That is the sweetest story. <laughs> yeah. This is so sweet. It did like change like even the romantic comedies or like before they weren't really my thing. And then after my relationship, I'd watch like when Harry met Sally and be like, oh, God, <laughs> run toward your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, did she. Do you think she saw you more clearly than you did? Probably. I mean, like but, it sounds like she also, didn't quite believe what you were saying. I think she I think she believed it in that she's a very appropriate person and has boundaries and was very clear that she was gay and she doesn't have any interest in like preying on someone mm. or you know where it's like if 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 you're not into this but I think you couldn't deny the fact that it was so I was so into it and that we were having a great time so I think for her it was very confusing because it was so mutual. And then there was just me going like, but I, I'm just this thing. But none of my actions were linked to that. And so when she was the one that was like, we have to stop hanging out. We have to, you know, stop doing this. And I was like, oh, man, like I'm losing like the thing in my life that I really like. And I didn't see it. I didn't get why we c couldn't just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But obviously – she was aware that she had feelings and then I needed to become aware that I had the feelings too. What were your other friends at the time saying? I surprisingly didn't really tell anyone. I, I was like, other than Tig is so funny. Tig is one of the greatest people. I, like, I think it was just, I would talk about her as a friend and I, the, the actual feelings aspect of it, I kept very to myself mm -hmm. because I didn't, I couldn't even go there. I was so confused. And now, and you know, there was a documentary made about her, but it, there's like aspects of this in it because while this was happening, sh there was a documentary crew mm -hmm. filming her life. So that was another interesting part. But um, since that has come out and since I've kind of talked about this in other ways, I get so many emails from people that are like, this is the exact same thing. And I fell in love with this person and that's how I realized I was gay or I I don't know if I'm gay but I fell in love with someone and I think that's the thing is it's like because it's not the norm in our culture and you don't see it in the media in the way that you know, it's not normal 
in the way everything else is, that you have to like really find it on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And I just think, God, it would have been so easy for me to just never go there, marry someone, like him, you know, have kids, like go through life going, yeah, he's cool. Mm -hmm. And I think there must be so many people in that position and they might not, it's not to go like, oh, you're gay and you won't admit it. It's like they might not know. And that's what floors me. Right. Because I can't believe I didn't know. And and to think back, like even when I was saying about going to a Christian school of being like, how dare you say that about gay people and they're born that way and they're de-, like such the advocate for it. And then in myself, like having no sense of it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that kind of goes into the question that I was going to ask. You might have already answered it. I was wondering, do you think having gone to that school, like got the messages you are hearing got under your skin at all? I mean, I don't possibly, but I also think it was more just that people there. I didn't have an example of gay friends or people expressing those things or experimenting. And then I didn't go to college where maybe that would have come out Mm. in college. Like just I wasn't in any sort of environment where there was even a hint of it. So and then to be in an high school that was so anti it it just it all got so messed up and confused I think whereas I think if I was just kind of going through life maybe I would have had those feelings for somebody earlier and recognized it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's take a moment to talk about Brooklyn and Sheets (laughs) (laughs) and then uh come back with a question about your adorable babies um you guys, I'm in love with my Brooklyn and sheets. I don't understand why certain sheets would allow me to sleep better, but they do. Uh, you spend a third of your life in your sheets. They make a difference with how you sleep. Start getting better sleep with the best sheets. Upgrade your nightly routine and help you feel more well-rested every day. Yeah, so I have a few different sets of sheets, uh, and my Brooklyn and sheets truly are my favorite. They are they're a little bit thicker, but they're cool. Uh, and I, I, I really do sleep better on them and I really don't understand why, but I really like them and I have blue and white stripe, but they have all different, uh, they have like different colors and then there's also duvet covers and pillowcases and the whole thing and you can mix and match or you can just get the same. Um, it was founded in April. The company was founded April, 2014 by husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich Fulop. They were in a hotel. They loved the sheets. They asked, how do they get sheets like that? Uh, they were quoted some insane thousands of dollars price and they're like, there's there's no way it has to be that expensive. So they sourced it themselves and they found a way to cut out the middleman. And now you can get super wonderful sheets for not super crazy prices. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You have to try these sheets today. My Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. Brooklinen has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use pom- promo code BESTFRIEND at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code BESTFRIEND at brooklinen.com. That's Brooke Linen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N. And I'm going to say that again because sometimes people are like, oh, that's how it's spelled? I thought it was something else. So Brooke Linen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code best friend. Brooke Linen, these are the best sheets ever. Okay, so at if I'm remembering correctly, at the end of the documentary, 
um, you guys were trying to get pregnant with a surrogate and then it didn't work out. Right. But then clearly it did work out. So um, I'm wondering how all that came about. But I asked for some questions on Twitter and people sent them in and someone sent in a question like that. So let's just go to uh, questions. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay, Jared the Skeptic says, Can we know the baby story? Last I heard of it was from Tig's documentary, which had my wife and I in tears for that part. But I've been hearing Tig talk about your little boys lately. I'm so happy for both of you, but I must have missed something. (laughs) Um. Well, it's interesting because when, like I was saying, when we first started dating, there was this documentary being made about her and she was trying to have a kid with a surrogate. And so um, as when we got together, it was obviously, you know, I was extremely supportive of it and it was clear that we were going to be together. So I kind of came in at the end of that process Mm -hmm. And um, and then it didn't take, which is in in the documentary. And then uh, we then we used a different surrogate than the woman in the documentary, and we um, used my eggs and her family. We'll say someone in her family is the donor, and so we oh. have very uh, you know, kind of our DNA it's a in there. Of genes, yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. How come you decided to use a surrogate? You know, it was like a lot of different reasons. And I still, you know, because we were already in the world of IVF and using a donor, there was something about like we were having this baby together using a surrogate as opposed to me carrying the donor. I I just, I didn't like the, the whole, that feeling for whatever reason. And I didn't really The feeling of you carrying... Yeah, like I didn't want like that inequality. Yeah, I didn't really want to. Mm-hmm. And um and we had this, you know, it was kind of it's really beautiful when you do this because you bring in so many people and all of a sudden you have a lot, you have a surrogate in her family, you have my family, you have Tig's family and then you have a donor and it's like it takes a village, you know, mm-hmm. like this group, the doctors, you're in the room, you do the transfers. And so there was something really nice of having the surrogate and her and I both being like, okay, we're having our kid. And it was really perfect and beautiful. And I know people do it a million different ways, but I loved it. And I also didn't really feel like I wanted to be pregnant mm-hmm. for whatever. I don't relate to that feeling. And I know so many women like, oh, I love it. And I, and I was like, I, I think that'll kill me. Oh, as someone <laughs> who has been pregnant and uh, had a baby, I have no qualms about saying I did not enjoy being pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was excited to be pregnant and I'm happy that I have my son. But the right. actual months of being pregnant were no fun. Yeah. <laughs> and they were quite uncomfortable. I know. It's really interesting because I don't feel like people say that that often. Mm-hmm. And I felt... Um, no, you're supposed to be like glowing and happy and no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> it is not that. W- 
For some people, it is actually. I have a friend whose sister has had like six babies and claims that she's happiest when she's pregnant. And I just don't understand that. That's, and that's what was so interesting about having a surrogate because people that go into surrogacy love being pregnant and I, they love the process of being yeah. pregnant and they like to the different phases and the whole thing. And it's like to see that, I'm like, oh God, well, that's great because it doesn't appeal to me. Mm. At all. I've actually always want. I, I've always thought about maybe getting a surrogate, interviewing a surrogate on the show because I'm uh-huh. so curious about that. And I think it's for the same reasons of like I didn't, I didn't want to be pregnant right. myself. Like what that there's an option. I think yeah. is really interesting because I don't know how. I don't feel like women feel that confident going toward it. It's like mm-hmm. oh, okay, well I want to have kids and I want. I guess I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. And you then realize like there are people that love it. Is And is for your surrogate, is that what it was? Like she yeah, just- she loved it and she was good at it. It was like something where she's like, okay, so, you know, the brain is developing this week. So I'm going to eat these foods. I'm doing this yoga. I'm listening to this music. I'm sent- she was sending me blogs and I was like, oh my God. I would, my, my fear of like having a surrogate was like, oh, well, I'm going to be into food. Now. Are they going to do what I don't, wouldn't want them to do? Yeah. Only to find out she's doing it a hundred times better and so into it. Whereas I feel like I'd be like, oh God, let's, is it nine months? Like, let's <laughs> go here. Um, and I, I've read so many articles and know young, a lot of young people even that are using surrogates just because, just out of choice. And I don't know if you can say, but if you can. How many times has she done this a lot? She had done it once before. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, when you use a surrogate, you work with a agency and you work with lawyers. And so they typically want the person to have done it before or to have had kids is mm-hmm. what they recommend, which I think is interesting. She didn't have kids, but she had done it before just because the emotional connect, the whole thing is so intense, you know? Well, that's what I was wondering. I, there must be circumstances where it gets emotionally ambiguous for, for them, for them. Right. Yeah. I think there is that you can't deny that moment, Mm -hmm. but I also think there is, it's a very interesting dynamic and I'm sure people have different experiences, but I think they really are people that love the process Mm -hmm. and they love doing it with you and it's like a kind of beautiful exchange when it's right Mm -hmm. and that was our experience with it like there there wasn't that challenge didn't really creep up i think it's interesting and also probably good that even if you use an egg donor and a surrogate those can't be the same person right right so i think so in that way the surrogate it can't be her own genetic baby yeah But what's interesting is, you know, California has pretty great laws around all of it. Whereas in the documentary, the um, surrogate was from Washington State where it's legal, but you can't pay them. Mm -hmm. And then I just found out that in the state of New York, it's illegal. And so people- To pay them or- or To have a surrogate. I did not know that. And so there, a lot of people in New York use people in New Jersey or, you know, surrounding states. Mm -hmm. It's really because all the law, like you have to have so much where it's like when the surrogate is pregnant, she has all the rights of any woman who is pregnant. So she gets maternity leave. She gets the same, you know, things. And then it's all on. She has to have her insurance. Mm -hmm. And then once. So your baby is kind of under her insurance. Mm -hmm. So you're responsible for her insurance. And then when the baby is born, the baby's in in this is in California, the baby's immediately yours and on your insurance and now right. there's two people that are separate so you're always you need the that protection you know because in other states it's like if the the 
surrogate and let's say her husband or if she's single, whoever, they go on the birth certificate when the baby's born and then you adopt them from them, which is rough because if they they have a moment where you have this like agreement, but technically Mm -hmm. they could go, no, they're not up for adoption. You're like, okay, but that's my biological kid. That's so crazy. Yeah. So it's, it can get intertwined and messy. Um, what was the handoff like? Like, the, were you at the hospital? Yeah, we were there. And that's the same thing. Like, we were in the room. Um, her mother was in the room. Her friend was in the room. And it was, you know, we held them. We it's And that's the other thing is you have two people that are completely able-bodied, like, mm-hmm. ready to go, you know. And so we, you know, took them to her and she held them and we held them. And it was really perfect. So... When you found out it was twins, how did you feel? I was pretty excited. I mean, we have a 15-year age difference, and I felt like just in tr- so many times of trying and year- in kind of years of it, it was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. And then, you know, having twins is like, it's really... Yeah, what's it like? It's a, It's the... It's the thing, like the cliche of like, oh my God, it's the greatest. And you look at them and you're like, oh my God, the joy. You just wake up in the morning. You're like, oh my God, everybody's thrilled. (laughs) And then it's just, it's a lot where you're like, oh my God, to just do anything (laughs) is great. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. How does the division of uh, the labor, for lack of a better term, work with you guys and taking care of them? I think we're I feel very fortunate that we're both very there and we were the whole time. And I think we're pretty, it's very even. And I I feel like if it wasn't, it would get tricky. But we have a nice kind of balance. And, mm. and I think we both really want to be there. So it's it's very fun. Right. How old are they now? They're going to be two on Tuesday. Oh, wow. Yeah. How, how two-year-old-y are they? I think, I mean... Because my son just just learned the word no. Oh, really? It's Isn't actually very, crazy very cute. Yeah. When that, because they learned no before yes. Mm-hmm. And like they just started saying yes, which is like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Whereas no is like, the no is so confident. Mm-hmm. Um, no. That's what he says. Yeah. But it's actually, I was thankful for it yesterday because I was feeding him and he kept pointing to, for a long time now, there's, you know, he's frustrated that he can't communicate and he tries to communicate and I'm trying to guess what he's saying. And so he's pointing to different things in the kitchen. And I was like, is it this you want? And he said, no. You know, and he kept saying right. no until finally I found the thing that he wanted. And then he put his hand out and it was God, like, kind of a, crazy? It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's really interesting because there is that thing of like, oh, it's the terrible twos. And there's definitely a noticeable change where you're like, oh, man, they are like, they want this or Mm -hmm. they don't. But you go, oh, you're really just becoming a person because it's like, yeah, they don't want to wear that shirt you're trying to put on them. They want to wear the other one. Right. So now you, as a parent, you just lose all your power because you're (laughs) like, oh, this is now going to take, because they're... They don't have the skills to go in, get their shirt and put it on. Right. You're just in this zone of like this one. Okay. This yeah, one. You work for them. Yeah. <laughs> and long hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see what other questions people have. Um, okay. Well, Agent 12 said, will one Mississippi come back? And we already know the unfortunate answer to that. But uh, another project with her and Tig? Question mark. 
Well, we're currently writing this movie for Netflix that um, it's called The First Ladies and Tig is going to oh, play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I read about this. But for in case the listeners don't know, you. Yeah. Go so ahead and Tig's going to play the First Lady and Jennifer Aniston is playing the first female president of the United States and they're a married couple in the White House. And we're currently writing it. How's it going? It's so fun. It's so fun to write and to work together, but it's also like just researching stuff on women and Hillary and how that all went down. It's like the most depressing. You're just like, God, why do people hate women so much? It's like, so it's, 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 it's very stimulating to work on and to think about. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a, comedy for sure but it's also really looking at gender and what what makes a first lady and what makes a president and what Mm -hmm. do we value in women what's jennifer aniston like she's so cool (laughs) she's one of those people where you're like everybody always says how nice she is and then you're around you're like oh man you're really you really are Mm -hmm. and like very just very aware of the process, making sure everybody's happy. She's not just like an egomaniac when she could be. And she's like the furthest thing from it. What does she smell like? Do people say she smells I've never heard good? what she smells like, but I'm just suddenly it wondering. It's like, a, it's a definite, you're like, wow, you smell great. And it's like, why is that? If certain people are just yeah. like, you're like, yeah, you must smell great all the time. And she does. I just Noticeably. wondered, if, like, is there a signature Jennifer Aniston scent? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know other than just going like, wow, that smells good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just reach a certain level of fame and a good scent is conferred just, upon you. Just around you. <laughs> um, okay, Megan says, Pride Month. Have you done any celebratory gay stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. I feel like we don't have – well, obviously, we, we're proud and – and have gay pride, but we don't have the, we don't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what we would do. Something with rainbows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take a picture. <laughs> uh, Paul says, what was her experience like filming Twin Peaks The Return? Well, amazing. I mean, I have a small role in it, but I was a huge David Lynch fan, still am. And it was one of those people and I've worked with a lot of people I really like, but I felt like it was the first time I'm like, oh, man, I'm like very thrilled to be here. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, I'm in. And he's just I think he he has you think of him a certain way based on his work. And then when you meet him, it's like this guy is like a Midwestern. He's like, hey, champ. All right. You ready? And you're kind of like, oh, OK. And he's just so. um I. I don't know what that energy is. And then like he would change the lighting. He's like, you want the glamour lights? <laughs> I'm like, sure. He's like, all right, bring in the glamour lights. <laughs> like it's just a, it, it was very fun. And I just think he's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I've read, have you read his coffee table book? No, but I'm married to possibly the biggest David Lynch fan oh, in the really? world. So I'm sure we own it. It's pretty great. Yeah. It's on meditation. It's, he's just a cool guy. Uh, Blake Bishop, how and when did Wild Horses form? Wild Horses, so Lauren Lapkiss, Wild Horses is an improv group I'm in, and uh, Lauren Lapkiss was asked to do a comedy festival five or six years ago in Portland. And 
they wanted an all-female team. And so we were just friends and we didn't perform together. And she was like, we could all say we're a team and get a free trip and just go hang out together. And so we went up there and did these shows that ended up going well. And they're like, oh, we should start just performing together. And we started doing like very random shows around Los Angeles at like 11 at night or midnight or whatever. And then it just kind of grew and we started doing it regularly at UCB and now we're at Largo. And there's there's four, four of, of us. you. Yeah. And then you have a guest monologist, right? Um, or no. We have a guest who we sit down and we drink wine with and we ask them non-career related questions for about 45 minutes. Mm. And then and usually have like a it's interesting to interview those people and talk about their childhood. I'm sure you feel that all the time. Where yeah. You're like, oh, this is a completely different version of how people see you. Mm. And then we do the four of us do improv based on the interview. Very cool. And is that monthly now? Yeah, it's monthly at UCB and monthly at Largo. So we're twice a month. Uh, okay. Paul would also like to know, is there any significance to her Jersey number 19? How did she get the coolest basketball nickname, the Scarlet Netter? Congrats to her and the shrimps on a great season. (laughs) Okay. Well, the 19th is my birthday since I'm not on Wikipedia, September 19th. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, there's a pistol shrimps podcast and they, called me the scarlet netter i don't know i have i have no clue why i I mean obviously it comes from the scarlet letter (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i don't know still a very cool nickname and then lastly justin thompson says have her improv instincts changed since getting married having children does she feel more likely to conjure a family in a scene oh that's interesting um i don't I don't think so. There is, there are like aspects where I'm like, oh, do I really need to talk about this or do I need to there like I I don't I don't, I wouldn't say that I really curb myself, but I definitely think about it more. Because yeah, just having you're kids. Yeah, like even with Tig's stand up, I'm like, is it good if we talk about them? Is it and then I can't I think we both can't help ourselves, but mm-hmm. then I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't say anything about them or I don't know I, I'm very aware of it mm-hmm. um, and just things I've done in the past that I feel like even the Time's Up movement I would say simultaneous to this have, to having kids I feel way more interested in being politically correct and I feel like that's the same as having kids where I'm like I just don't want to be in that comedy space where things go awry and you're like well I mean I was in the scene Mm. And I'm like, I'm hyper aware of it mm-hmm. more so than I was, I'd say, five or six years ago. Sorry. How, and how does that relate to the Time's Up movement? Well, I just feel like, you know, even speaking about men or speaking about women in scenes or using like certain words, it's like Samantha mm-hmm. B saying cunt and everybody getting where you're like, I, I'm just hyper aware of offending somebody or or thinking I'm trying to always think about what I'm saying and what I mean. Whereas I think before I was way more like, oh, that's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. Or write a sketch that's like some considered somewhat dark or edgy where now I'm like, I don't really need that. Right. And what is your feeling about that? Do you feel inhibited at all or... No, I feel like it's making me better and I feel more interested in it. And when I see comedians or writers like not do it, I'm like, mm-hmm. what a weird choice. 
you know, where you're like, oh, yeah, they had like a trans joke in there that wasn't great. And you're kind of like, why? Why would you not take that out? I mean, my thing is like once you know that a certain word or term is offending someone, how can you keep using it? Yeah, that's what I feel. And I don't get the reluctance to give it up yeah and i feel like there was a time where i really liked that humor and i was like yeah you got to talk about it and you got to put it out there and i liked stand-ups that were that way where i would say well obviously they don't really think that that's Mm -hmm. the joke that's the perspective that's you know and now i'm like but i feel like it's like evolved from that Mm -hmm. and i enjoy seeing people evolve right it is interesting to go back and read stuff you've written for well, I'm talking about myself now and like cringe like yeah but that was of the time but still <laughs> I know I know it's really interesting yeah what was your feeling about all the the Louis CK stuff I feel like I was you know it was weird because we were working on a show where he was the EP and then in the process of working on that show we became all of us, all the writers, everybody aware that there were these, in you know, as they say, rumors where it's like, no, there was all these women saying that this is ha- this had happened, and it was a little like, oh my god, this guy's cr- insane. Had you had you been friends with him or like associates with him for a long time? I I was not. Mm-hmm. I mean, D- Tig had, um, you know, he had released her album on his website, but even they weren't friends. Right. So she wasn't nobody was like close to him and then you just re- you see signs where you're like oh this guy is like off the rails mm-hmm. and i feel like that's you hear that about you know weinstein where it's like he not only did he do this but he also had rage and he also like you're like oh yeah these people are like in business and functioning and they're making people's lives hell and they're abusing their power in a million different ways and you saw that with him yeah and so then when that came out when all these women were telling us this, it was like, oh, my God. And that's when we, you know, put it in the show. And Tig was publicly saying it. And he was going, those are rumors. I don't speak to rumors. And he was, I mean, a week before the New York Times article came out or a month before he was in Toronto going, yeah, those are rumors. I don't speak to that. I don't need to speak to that. They're lying. And then you're like, oh, now you have an apology to these women going, I'm so sorry. And it's like, you you now that you've lost everything it's like Mm. they you've done this forever so it was really weird to see it's been very interesting to see the fall and to see the reaction and to hear people's opinions because i feel very clear on it and it's interesting when people are like well you know he's it's like i was saying earlier a compulsion or whatever and it's like i always think like god imagine if you had a woman who is a showrunner on a show and you're like, yeah, oh my God, she's so funny. She's a genius. She's brilliant. I mean, she keeps asking people to masturbate in front of them or she keeps masturbating in front of people and you'd be like, what? And that's, yeah, it's her problem. I don't know. She's always, she's always talking about it. Like you'd be like, that woman is crazy Mm -hmm. and they would not keep their job. And this idea that he's just like, that it's that casual, I, it blows my mind. And for for all of those people, I, I the the separation of like that it's not intentional and abusive and conscious. I can't believe people don't see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised when you started hearing the rumors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not like 
surprised that I was the biggest fan and oh God, but more just like, I've had this a lot with all this stuff where I'm like, God, so you just mad, like who does that? And you, they're fully clothed and he throws his jizz and you're like, what? And then I start to think back and I feel like all, I talk to my friends and women are like, yeah, that happens, that happened, this, this happened, this. And you're like, right, I guess we've all just been living in this reality and not talking about it. But when you hear it, it just seems so bizarre. With a lot of the the stories coming out, and I've said this before on the show, like it all, it made me go like, oh, I feel like I've been very naive. Yeah. Like, of course, I knew this kind of stuff happened. I'm not that naive, but just that it's like on such a scale, and that so many women are like, yeah, this happens. You know, I, I guess I've been lucky. Like, there's mm-hmm. been off shit that has happened in my life, but not to the degree of a lot of the stuff, thankfully. Right. And so I feel like I've been a little bit insulated. I just didn't realize how much it's like part of the fabric of so many women's careers. Yeah. And how easy it, and and just that whole thing of when you put somebody in a lose-lose where it's like, if they reject you, you don't hire them. If you, if they go, if you do it to them, you got to get away from them. Like you're just completely ruining this person over and over and over again. Um, and to have that desire, I think I think the thing that I'm like waiting for in this whole movement is when we're going to start talking about the psychology behind the person that wants to do that, as opposed to the act or what it, what it was. It's like, why does Bill Cosby want to have sex with somebody who's passed out? Right. Why do you want to masturbate in front of somebody who's terrified and doesn't and paralyzed and not? Like, why are you getting off on their fear? Right. It's such a predatory. Yeah. And I like think sociopathic the, thing. Right. That it, And so I, when it's in the space of like, oh, guys and their dicks, <laughs> I feel like you've you're you're taking it to this like the locker room comment where it's like, no, it's not. I know guys do that, but we're not talking about that. Mm. We're talking about this. Right. And that's why. Yeah. And I'm really. I would be interested to go toward that because mm-hmm. I think that's where you'd start to go like, yeah, like, you know, there's this thing on YouTube of a podcast that Louis was on talking about um, American beauty. And he's like saying like, he goes off on this rant about getting off on a teenager who's like confused and wants to get out. And you're like, oh yeah. And you can't believe the ease that he says it. And this was like years and years mm-hmm. ago. But you're like, oh, that person is connecting to this thing. And Weinstein, too. It's like he the, the whole dynamic is what he's into. Right. But And you would say he was someone who was making people's lives. Like, was he just a difficult person? I mean, I didn't deal with him. I was just, you know, writing on the show. But I think he I think there's that rage factor and kind of. um the egomaniac, the person that is that abuses their power here is going to do it everywhere. And I think that's what's been interesting with a lot of to hear about a lot of these people where you're like, you know, just even another guy that works with them was like, yeah, he, is, he really bullied me and he really treated me poorly just in the office or just in, you know, on set or whatever. You're like, oh, that person is toxic. And I think that when you start to see those sides of people and then this comes out, you're like, right, like there's a lot going on there. Right. If they're comfortable treating people that way. And I'm not – obviously I'm not saying these are are all linked. Right, you know, right. Because there's could plenty just, of people who are jerks who don't do things that are shitty with their And seemingly nice but... <laughs> people that do it secretly. Yes, yeah. But still I think that like 
in the, you know, in the cases you're talking about, if people are so comfortable mistreating people and crossing those lines in certain arenas, it it doesn't seem that hard. Right. Another. Well, that's why, sorry, oh, just no, with ahead. like the thing that just happened with Arrested Development where it was like they were talking about Jeffrey Tambor's rage and you're like, right, like there's, it, it seems like it's common and it, it with these men where it comes up where you're like, oh, that's a piece of it. All right. Let's do Just Me or Everyone. But first, I want to remind the listeners I'm on Patreon. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. Different reward levels, bonus episodes, uh, behind the scenes content, all sorts of fun stuff. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me? Or everyone. This is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? <laughs> and we weigh in. Okay, Sarah Kohanek says, Every time I ride in a Prius, it reminds me I could never own a Prius because I'd get too distracted by all of the energy-saving graphics and numbers moving around on the dash. I think I could learn to look away, but there is a lot of stuff that goes on there. I haven't even seen that. Oh, you haven't? Uh-uh. Uh... Well, I've I've only been in a, in a few Priuses. Have you been in a bunch? Yeah, but I guess just maybe not driving. Maybe, okay, because now I'm like I'm, I don't want to I don't want to speak confidently about the dash situation <laughs> if I'm wrong. Jenna had a Prius, uh, and when I was in that car, I did I was like, wow, what is going on on there? There's there's so much like it's being charged this much, and oh, yeah, it's a right. fair amount of stuff that goes on. It seems like. Um, Sarah Simmons says, when I crack an egg to cook, I simply cannot resist crushing the mostly intact shell in my hand. The sound and feel is very satisfying. Interesting. I have like the opposite. I don't even like to crack eggs because I don't like bits of egg snot right. getting on my hands because it's like sticky and stays on you for, well, I mean, until you wash it off, but still, like I just, yeah. and I like eggs a lot and I, I can't even crack with one hand, but I I have no interest in spending more time with that show. I feel like if I crack an egg, I've somewhere along the line, I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And I just <laughs> like really try. So it's because I think my natural instinct is like very light. Right. And then it's just a disaster. Mm-hmm. How does the hard crack go for you? Does it usually work? Or yeah, do you, usually okay. works. Well, then you stick with it. Because I have <laughs> recently, because well. I was having, I found a few times that I would go to crack it and then it would just kind of crumple and not crack. And so right. I've kind of gone the opposite way from a what you do. Touch. I like tap it a few times and sort of turn it as I tap. Jeff, technique? I do the hard slap because I I had found with the tap, tap, tap that you wind up crushing mm. the egg more, especially depending right. on what you hit it on. I have yeah. a little stainless steel bowl that I usually do it in and that has a nice sharp edge. But I feel like if you go whack once, that's better. But I don't crush it in my hand. That sounds gross. It sounds kind of fun, but yeah, it sounds like <laughs> messy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't like the mess of it. Also, for a little while, I was cracking it against the side of the counter, and that is just asking for a mess as yeah. well. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You just can't. Yeah, and I I get some weird satisfaction out of the, like not crushing the eggshell. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I can crack it and it's very clean and there's not a bunch of little chips, yeah. I like that. So I think I would feel weird crushing it. It after seems that. so cinematic to picture her just like crushing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Dave Cross, no, not that one, says. 
I am convinced that a political belief system will jujitsu the believer's brain around any rational argument you can throw at it, pertains to either side. It takes a life-changing event to alter a belief, not a factoid. Um, well, certainly one side seems that way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I keep like, especially with what's going on right now politically, I feel like there, I don't even know that there's a point really in trying to argue with people on Twitter. And then I sit there arguing with people on Twitter. Right. Like, I don't know if you don't, if we don't, if we're not agreeing on the basic, like, here's good and here's evil. I don't know what I can say to you. And then I still find like four tweets later. I'm like, what am I doing? I know. It, it is like, is, I feel like that in the whole Trump administration, it's like the most shocking thing where you go, oh, so you're okay with that? Mm-hmm. Oh, and that too? And that, because you feel like you're watching the most obvious buffoon. And the fact that anybody is like, well, I don't know. It, I kind of like him. Or I think what's going on down there is kind of good. It's, and you're just like, what? I, I it blows my mind. Right. Right. Like I keep seeing people make the argument and but this is like a small handful of people, but I've seen people make the argument that to me if I say anything about the separation of and the de, you know detaining the separating the like mig- the, the migrant kids from the parents and all of that um like well but breaking the law is breaking the law. Ugh. Or I know, like, it doesn't matter how you feel. It, it's the law. And just one one guy just wrote back, slavery was legal. Right. He's like, yeah, but it took something, you know, it, it took changing the law to me. And I'm just like, first of all, I don't even, and this is condescending, but I don't even think that that's, I don't know that that's what you really think. Right. I think you think that's what you think. <laughs> but I think it's sort of like what this person is saying about, like, you are, I think you are finding a way to justify what's happening. Right. And the whole like I, I the law and order thing and like seeing Sarah Huckabee go like, you know, it's biblical and that's what we're doing is we're enforcing law and order. And you're just like <laughs> and you know that their their base is going like, oh, yeah, I love right. that. And it's like you don't love it if it's, you know, Planned Parenthood. It's like right. they're just doing, you know, like it's so crazy that they that they just hang on to that so strongly mm. and but i think it's that thing like i was just talking about this from like i think this idea that we all we assume everybody wants peace and we assume everybody mm-hmm. is into love and that's a good thing it's like we have only been told by the other side that it's like nope we like chaos we like shit hitting the fan we like entertainment we like blowing things up and guns and right. and it's like it's almost like there's a, a bloodlust yeah and that's the most terrifying part. Yeah, I think there are plenty of people who are super happy that parents are missing their kids and that kids are really unhappy right now. And that's scary. But I do I don't know how many people, but I and I'm sure some people are conflicted, but I think there are some people that that doesn't bother at all. And like I can't have there's not going to be a fruitful conversation with that person, especially not on Twitter. Right, or they're going, "Well, you have to weaken them if they're all together, you know, yeah. it's like then you got and you're like, "What are we talking of this kid you have a nine month old right. who's just like with strangers for months like in the dark and n- not knowing anything it's like that's all we're talking about and yeah. and to go like yeah but you know yeah whatever it's yeah it's brutal someone on instagram was like kids cry they get over it i'm like this is ah! anyway oh boy 
<laughs> it's so but then bad. i wonder like how much is this just an an online troll those comments yeah well that's the th- i feel like i'm always in that space because then i'm like but then he was elected and people like him yeah and supporters and i see people that support him and you see like you're like who where is this group right and then it's like well clearly he felt something to be like well i'm gonna sign an executive order against the thing you started that then doesn't also do Mm. anything but it's like clearly those tents were built they were organized they were set up they like this is a whole long process flown to other states yeah it's not just like oh this started happening at the border right it was very intentional yes and i think signing the executive order is just because the outcry was becoming too big, I suspect. Right. I don't know. Um, okay. Bex says, ever have those days where nothing is really wrong, but you just want to crawl out of your fucking skin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I know. Like, I was having that. I was driving here. It's, like, kind of gloomy. And I'm like, I have that, like, seasonal depression thing where I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. Like, it make it really bugs me Mm -hmm. the weather yeah like a like a gray day where it's kind of humid and it's Uh not like cozy or anything and it's just like disgusting and not pretty right i'm just like i can't take it yeah um i feel i feel that way often on a hot sunny day really yeah i just do not like warm weather but i also don't like i prefer gloomy hot gloomy i don't love though wow do you just do you like hot weather yeah and I, I mean, or I like it like romantic cold. Mm-hmm. Like it has to have some kind of thing to it. Right. Otherwise I can't, I don't know what to, what I'm going with. <laughs> <laughs> it's too ambiguous. Uh, oh, honey says from time to time, I get the feeling that nobody, even good friend groups likes me. Often I'm convinced that people get annoyed by everything I say. And then it's like nothing. And then it's like nothing ever happened for months. Wait, often I'm convinced that people get annoyed by everything I say, and then it's like nothing ever happened for months. I'm confused by the last part. Am I... Is that nothing... That confused that... Oh, because nothing happened? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I see. Right. Like, I'm convinced that people are annoyed by everything I say, and then it's like nothing ever happened for months. Um, Maybe. I used to feel this way a lot. I thankfully don't anymore. Um, but as a young person, yeah, I would repeatedly feel like, what if all my friends actually don't like me? And uh-huh. like, what, am I just a humongous dork? And everything I say is, is right. irritating, irking people. And yeah. What about you? I feel like I don't have that a lot, but I remember I was at this party and my sister, my sister and I are, you're apart and there's all these girls and, um, you know, just whatever. And then afterward, my sister was like, I don't think those girls like you. I just got a vibe. And I was like, really? (laughs) Like, and it was like, I, I had never really like come to terms with my response to the situation like that was like, why wonder why? That's healthy though. I think so. But I really was like, interested. Mm -hmm. I felt like, and I think I'm now more in that space than like, do you like me? Do you, where I'm like, what did you think of that? What I said, <laughs> you know, like you're trying to like a healthy curiosity about yeah. it. Yeah, That's really good. It's kind of fun. It's more fun than to like beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. Is your sister older or younger? She's a year older. 
And then I have a brother who's a year and a half younger. So I'm in the middle. Why did those girls not like you, do you think? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, Probably fart. I didn't like that I, li- that I wasn't going like, why don't you like me? <laughs> right. Fart girl says... Whenever my car auto locks, it happens to be next to a person walking. I always wonder if they think I'm purposefully locking it in front of them because they look threatening. I've had that feeling before. Oh, yeah. Before. I have that often. But I've also had the feeling where I'm um, like stopped in traffic and there is a sort of sketchy looking person walking in between the cars and I'll surreptitiously lock the doors and feel like, I hope I didn't anger this person. I know. And, <laughs> and I feel bad, but I do it anyway. Me too. And you're, it's like you're probably right. It's like the gift of fear where you go, oh, yeah, there's a reason I'm scared that somebody's coming up to my car. Someone gave me the book, The Gift of Fear, and I intend to read it because I often wonder, like, is it the gift of fear like I'm picking something up or am I paranoid for no reason? You know, it's like when you get a really strong sort of premonition about something and like, yep, either a loved one is about to die or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, they say, you know, that like humans are the only species that will get in an elevator with each other, like a stranger, mm. whereas you'll never see two other animals get in a small space right? and that they know where they're going to be locked in, where we naturally are taught to trust. Mm-hmm. And so then we start to question our... Right. We you, just kind of suppress that instinct yeah, not to. Yeah. And so then you're like, you're not really sure. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to offend that person when you're like, you could just, they could just stab you mm-hmm. and you're just being polite. Well, they, that, that's the thing I think a lot of women have had to unlearn is that just being polite always thing. Yeah. That it will get you killed. Yep. <laughs> uh, Ryan Mulholland says, thought the title to your book, we might have, I think we had a similar one. Already thought the title to your book was Tropical Attire in Courage until I looked it up on Amazon. Your title makes more sense, but I have fun thinking about it. I have a book out called Tropical Attire Encouraged and other phrases that scare me, but it does sound the same Encourage and Encouraged. You oh, could yeah. be like Tales of Tropical Attire Encouraged. That is like, <laughs> it's like a Bill O'Reilly book, I feel yeah. like. Um, but yours would be like the. Uh, just like vacation courage stories. Vacation courage or the, uh, <laughs> who's the Margaritaville guy? Jimmy oh, Buffett. Oh, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's oh like God. life as a parrot head. Being a parrot head in a non-parrot head <laughs> environment. <laughs> yeah. I'm a parrot head in a button-down world. <laughs> um, and Jen says, when I am given a piece of paper to keep, I automatically fold it into horizontal thirds and put it in my purse. Yeah, I, I don't think I do horizontal thirds, but I do, fo- I think I just, if it's like a eight, eight and a half by 11, I fold it into quarters mm-hmm. and then put it somewhere and then often, I really need an organization system. Are you organized, Stephanie? I am. How do you do it? I, well, I, I love it. I think it's that thing where I like, I, I used to, even as a kid, it's like I couldn't watch a movie unless I had like everything clean. And so I have that kind of desire and i enjoy getting little boxes and putting Mm -hmm. things together are you good with clutter i bet you are yeah are you ruthless yeah are you marie kondo style (laughs) (laughs) i really love that feeling i love getting rid of stuff i love being like ah i'm throwing this thing out that i like really yeah have you ever regretted it 
No. You've never wished that you had something that you threw out. No, and I don't remember it. Where they say, you know, like it was clothes or something that you wear um, 10% of your clothes 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's that idea of like, if you just go in there and you're like, okay, fine, I'm going to get rid of everything. And then you look at all the stuff and you're like, oh, I'm excited by all these things. Right. Yeah, I did a big purge while I was pregnant a couple years ago. And it was like, I could get back into my closet again and it felt so good. But I really, that really might be the last time I've cleaned. Like it's gotten really bad again everywhere. I don't even want to sit at my desk anymore. It's so unpleasant. I need to do something about it. <laughs> but we're moving eventually. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. But this, the fact that like my desk is just, it's, my desk is rejecting me. There's, it's, I got to do something about it. And kids, I feel like having kids is really tricky because I would never have all that stuff. And mm. then it's like, oh my God, the toys and the pieces and all the, like, it's just yeah. endless. And then you're like, but they love it and you mm. got to have it. And you, and you got to get new stuff frequently too. Yeah. And yeah. I'm currently having a problem in his changing table dresser because there's a bunch of shirts in there that no longer fit him. I'm like, I've got to, I got to, you got to update they- this. Right, and they're hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. That stuff I have more trouble with. Yeah. Like, but at oh, least I, I need it. to... But but are you good about like moving them into boxes and stuff at least? Because now it's just like the top layer of his shirt drawer is the shirts that he wears, and then there's just like piles of shirts oh, right, yeah. that don't fit him anymore. This it's is my own problem. Thank you for listening, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> Stephanie, it was delightful having you on the show. Yes, thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. It was really fun. Tell everyone uh, where they can find you and plug all your things you want to plug. Um, I'm on Twitter at Steph Allen, and you can come see Wild Horses at Largo or UCB any month. And that's it. And when does, um, wait, is it called First, First Ladies? First Ladies. When does that premiere? Well, we're writing it now, and we're probably going to shoot it. It'll probably come out next year. Um, so I've been doing – it's like the first time I'm really like, oh, I'm a, I'm a writer every day, which is kind of nice. Do you go somewhere to write, or do you do it at home? A little of both. Mm-hmm. And are you disciplined about the, t- the hours that you work and stuff? Not like in the, like I just read Stephen King's book, which is amazing, and it, it's like not in that way of like this is my job, and I wake up – I feel like that's impossible with – kid like mm-hmm. two-year-olds but i definitely write like it's i'm like oh tonight i'm free i'm gonna do it or mm-hmm. i'll find the time i find the time right jeff where do we find you you can find me on facebook and twitter at colonel jeff fox and follow me on twitter at allison rosen uh subscribe to the show and rate and review and um, tell all your friends and sub- subscribe them when they're in the other room uh itunes.com slash allison rosen is a quick way to get to where you can subscribe. Also, just, you know know how to listen to a podcast. (laughs) You're listening to this one right here. And um, alisonrosen.com is where you go for all other stuff. I do have a book out, Tropical Attire Encouraged. And if you go to alisonrosen.com, there's like three different places you can click and it'll take you right to Amazon where you can buy the book, all formats, etc. Follow me on Instagram at alisonrosen. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey,
Rosie.